I accidentally cut off half my toenail. Okay, welcome to The Failure Show. Episode 11. Episode 11. I'm right, right? Yeah, it's, ep- yeah, it's episode 11 Woo! of The Failure Show. I'm Ben Frank. And I haven't showered. I'm um, sorry. <laughs> I'm Ida Knox. <laughs> a little bit of a... That's not a Freudian slip. What, what kind of slip is that? Um, I don't know. I was just thinking about how I really, like, should... Um... Well, yeah, because we we basically showed up at your apartment the, exactly the same time that that you did. Yes, I went to. Um, it's my fault. I went to yoga this morning, um, but then I was like, "You have time to get a manicure," and that turned out to not entirely be true. I mean, it kind of was. You, you didn't show up too late to your own apartment. Yeah, but I would have liked to have had like an extra hour for like three cups of coffee and a shower. That would have been my dream. Okay, well, if yeah, if that was your if that was your criteria for time, then yes, you did you. Yeah, then I messed it up. I messed it up. It's cool. It's cool, man. Clearly, clearly did not have did not have the the requisite time for that. Yeah, well, it's okay. Are you pleased with the manicure at least? I am. I uh, I went with the same color that I have gotten for the past year. And what is the technical name of it? I, I'm looking at it, but I don't... Well, I don't... well, what would you say is the technical name of it? Um, oh, boy. What, <laughs> what, is the, what is the name of this color here? Um, oh, God. It's, 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 like like a, purpley, it's like a blue-purple. A blue-purple-gray. Yeah, it's like a very... It's not like a deep blue-purple. It's like a light blue-purple. And I would, I would just like to point out that I am incredibly aware that of all the things I've tried to explain what they look like on this podcast, this is least interesting of any of them. <laughs> um, I know that. It's fine. Uh, I will say, when I went to get my manicure today... You know how, like, if you visit certain shops or something a lot, like, you buy breakfast from the same guy every day or something, they know who you are? So the girl who does my nails, like, just, I realized that I've been going to her for a long time, and she knows, like, a weird amount about me. So she was like, oh, like, how's doing live streams for work going? You still feeling self-conscious about it? She's <laughs> <laughs> like, a, a little bit, like, cool. But it was nice. It's nice. It's nice when people know who you are. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice when they know who you are, but not nice when they know a little too much about who you are. There's a there's a sweet spot. Uh, Yeah, let's 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 get into the show. We got a really good one uh, today. Let's get right into fail or pass. Fail or pass. Okay, this is uh, fail or pass, the segment of of the show where we discuss news stories that are vaguely controversial, and Ida gets really worked up about something that. Maybe doesn't need to get her worked up. Oh, just wait. I've got one today that no one will care about, but I care about a lot. Okay. Turtles part two. Um, <laughs> and uh, we're, yes. we're joined uh, for this segment by our uh, our guest for for the week, Bjorn Dahlman. Hello. Bjorn, welcome to The Failure Show. Yeah, Thank you welcome. so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. So, uh, yeah, Ida, do you want to get started with your, your story? Okay, let's see if I can not mutilate this while explaining it. <clears throat> it is an article from, unsurprisingly, The Times. Um, because? <laughs> that's the only new subscription that I pay for and routinely check in on. Yep. Um, so. Pass. 
<laughs> Thank you. Um, it's called What Happened to Who? And <laughs> okay. it's talking, okay, it's a very like specific article and it's talking about that instead of people saying people who, people have started saying people that. And mm-hmm. it's specifically referring to politicians. And this is a cruel thing to do to you because English is your <laughs> second language. Yeah, and now it feels like it's my third or, I don't know, seventh language. But, but I, I'm trying to yeah, get okay, on the train. So I'll, I'll, break, <laughs> yeah. I'll break down for you guys what I want you to fail or pass. So it's this incredibly long like article. It cites you know lots of dictionaries and Merriam-Webster and grammar rules. And it's basically just calling into attention to the fact that like politicians miss up, mess up. Oof. mess up <laughs> saying like people they should be saying people who something 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 like, like people, people who, who like dogs but instead they're saying people that like dogs and grammatically this is apparently incorrect I mean it is incorrect and we're failing or passing whether it was worth it to write a 1500 piece 1500 word piece in the New York Times like going into the incredible like all of it. It's like tweets from Trump, tweets from um, Marco Rubio, like all of these people. It's talking about Neil Gorsuch, like got it wrong once, and he's going to be on the Supreme Court. Like, I have a question. Did, yeah. Because they talk about this in the context of politics, is there any like way that they're talking about it as in like using this way of speaking like that it does it change people's perception do they use it to their advantage or is it just something that they don't know they're doing and it just happens to be grammatically incorrect and that's the whole so story. it's frank bruni and i actually like a lot of his pieces and he says he like noticed this in the 2016 debates he kind of goes into like it, quote it's always a dangerous thing when politicians get near the english language <laughs> So he's kind of going on and saying that, like, he, he's saying that it does, like, affect, like, how people think it, and it's, like, like slightly sloppy, and it's just, like, bad, and it, it, he kind of tries to use this as political commentary. Okay. But, but okay, so my, and, and my standpoint on it is that, like, I, as much as I always want to find a good way to, like, jab at a politician... I think it's a little bit excessive to be like this very minute grammar error, which I'm sure a lot of people, especially in spoken English, make mm-hmm. fairly frequently. I'm sure, like, I don't know if I always get that one right. Um, I think it's a bit of a stretch to try and turn that into political commentary. But can I ask, is this an uncommon thing in in uh, American media? Because in Swedish media, this happens. Like all the main uh, newspapers, they have this this like page where you can write and ask questions about language and how language change. And every time that the the academy that you know gives out the dictionary every year, they add a couple of new words, and there are always a debate on that word. So it's this is a big thing in Swedish media, and sometimes it also happens like this, like. Some politician used the phrase "ba ba ba ba," and is this really representative for our politicians? So what? Okay, that's I, I, I find it quite fascinating that huh, that this happens. And... Okay, well, I feel like maybe back in the day, a phrase that no twenty-five-year-old should ever say. Um, <laughs> I feel like maybe back in the day. Um, there, like, I just am surprised, I guess, and it feels petty to see it because I feel like there's so many huge, glaring political errors right now that I'm like, is this grammar point really worth the, <laughs> the space? Um, 
But that's kind of fascinating. Do people get like mad at politicians in Sweden? I mean, we our prime minister now, he was a foster child and he was like really this worker who engaged politically because he was fighting for the right to have a chair to sit on in the factory. Mm. So he really comes from a working class background, mm. which I'm very proud of and yeah. Swedish myth and everything. But he, you can hear the way he's talking that he is, he did really not grow up in an environment ah. where you learn to talk in a fancy way. Oh. So sometimes he could be very like, blunt is the wrong word, but you know, not, not expressing himself as a government official. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I actually, of... as much as I want to like say that Rubio and Trump are terrible, and I do, and I think Trump has a lot of linguistic things you could jump on. <laughs> I do think it's a little bit nitpicky to be like, <laughs> this is a reason to think that someone is, I don't know, not excellent. Yeah, I, as I said, if, if there's nothing in this article that kind of, like if the article was exposing a way that this tick in language is a conscious way to change public perception, then I would think that would be very, very interesting. But I think it's just, it's just pointing something, oh, they're saying that, they should be saying who. This person did it. That person did it. That person did it. But yeah. Anyways, I, I'm yeah. I'm gonna say it's a it's a fail to have spent that much time on that article. I'm gonna go that way. Okay. Well, now I'm kind of convinced since Sweden does it that maybe it's <laughs> that it's always correct. Yeah, like but, that maybe it's a but, cool thing to do. But, but can I ask? Is there also like how do you say undertones of this criticizing the way that Trump has been trying to change the rhetorics? And like, you know, his anti-elitism, yaba, 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 that there's also a reflection of how he uses uh, non-academic, non-high-level language to kind of say that it's okay for, how do you say, common people, ordinary people, mm. their mindset, their way of speaking. Is it a way to... I don't want to use the word normalize. Or, or like, like to endear himself to those people. I guess. Yeah, I mean, like by using not totally correct language. Yeah, to build this whole persona of oh, I'm with you, and yeah. this and anti-intellectualism is the word I'm looking for. Maybe I don't know, but he yes, anti-intellectualism is the word <laughs> yes, looking for. It took some time. But they do they do kind of mention like a quote from Clinton and like I don't, I don't know. It's just like Ah Trump, he's our thatter in chief. Is what they kind of conclude. <laughs> all right. He's all that all the time. I and it's. I just think it. It's still nitpicking in a weird way that I don't. I'm not convinced. Okay, so fail or pass, yeah. Ida. Uh, fail, fail, fail. I found this interesting. It's a pass for me. Okay. <laughs> all right. Great. Uh, we'll move on to my story. Ida, this is kind of a sports story, so I'll make it very simple for you because I know you don't. I know you don't. No, I really. I know you don't like sports. For listeners what he meant was i'll make it simple for you as a kind gesture because of your slight disinterest in sports not because you don't follow them at all understand them know how to play sports i'm sorry i'm taking this really personally <laughs> okay but, um, uh, yeah. okay and no so this so this week they're they're playing the masters which is one of the biggest golf tournaments of oh. the year it's the, one of the four golf tournaments that anyone cares never about. mind i so take it back okay. i definitely don't just care. everyone thing yeah never mind okay <laughs> this, will be, this will be accessible okay um, now the number one golfer in the world is Dustin Johnson, and a lot of people were like were betting on him to win the tournament. What happened with Tiger Woods? 
he's old and has been injured for oh, a few years, so that, he just that he's, means I'm old too. Never mind. Kind of sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, he, no, he's 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 just fallen off the face. Of the oh, earth okay. As a golfer. Yeah. So, anyways, okay. this guy Dustin Johnson is number one. Um, a lot of people were betting on him, like at real sports books, to win. And then the day before the tournament started, he fell down the stairs and was unable to play in the tournament. What? What stairs? Which stairs? He, who pushed him? He, uh, he fell him? down the stairs in the home he was renting near was where the tournament young? was. Was he wearing socks on wooden stairs? Because that I don't can know. get you. Yes, that can get you. I don't know. I don't know if he was wearing socks on wooden stairs. I've broken stairs. my foot twice that way. Yeah, that's, you should never wear socks on wooden stairs. That is true. Mm. Okay. <laughs> but so, but as a result of this, he wasn't able to play. Tons of people bet on him. But like about half of all these sports books that took bets on uh, this tournament decided to return the money to people who had bet on him to win. And the other half were just like, no, we're not returning the money. What? So, but it was interesting because... I just assumed that all sports books would kind of have uniform policies about how to deal with this. Is sports books a term for like where where you bet on sports? Yeah, it's like yeah, it's like uh, bo- bookmakers. Sorry, got it. Yeah, yeah it's like where I'm you, with you. I'm yeah, with you. Yeah, where where you bet on sports. So I guess you can. I kind of ask who like the people who uh, decided to pay back the money fail or pass. The people who didn't decide to pay back the money fail or pass, and just kind of. Discuss it from there because I thought it was interesting. Like I assumed it would be uniform across the industry, but it wasn't. Um, follow up question. Yes. From a legal standpoint, what kind of like forms do you sign your name on when you make a bet? And like you put the money in, you probably click like I agreed to the terms of use or whatever somewhere along the way. Yeah, I mean, so sports betting is largely illegal in the u.s like except for las vegas i'm pretty sure i don't know if there's anywhere else where it's legal okay um and i'm pretty sure all online betting is illegal but you can use sites outside of the united states it's like so everyone who's getting gypped out of their money right now did it illegally no not necessarily okay a lot of them probably but, I mean, it's, like, it's legal, for example, the online sites, it's legal in the jurisdictions where they're based. Like, like for example, I think in the UK, sports betting is not illegal. Oh, so, like, so it's like people they're based are, in like, the UK. betting in the UK, but they're just, like, doing it online from America? Kind of. Like, the sites are, like, based at... I, I don't know exactly how these things work, because I've never bet on any of these sites. Okay, that but, was my next follow-up question. But, in, <laughs> but, yeah, like, in Vegas, you can, like, go to a casino and bet on, like, sports and stuff in the future and okay. uh, things like that. And there are many online sites where you can do it, but as far as in America, those online sites are, are illegal, at least as of now. Um, so I don't know. Any thoughts on kind of the the moral issue or like just the that there's a difference here? I, I mean, I always find this fascinating. I guess this is a million dollar sport, and I guess that for this this guy, uh, whatever his name was, I, I, it's a million dollar business. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, if I fall and break my foot, no one cares. <laughs> 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 but but for but well, I mean, when a million dollar guy does it. It's like, it's so interesting, these levels, that on one level, it's still just a person with just a broken foot. But on another level, it's like big business that involves a lot of people. Yeah. And it's the same thing with politicians or like people being responsible for operations and yeah. warfare and everything. 
it's just humans. So to me, this become this become a clown thing. Yeah. Uh, I guess we'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, uh, but I, I work as a clown and we always talk about mistakes as the source of material, as the source for like everything we do. So this mm-hmm. is like, this is how how human and how clownish we people are. It's just another guy who slipped in the stairs. <laughs> and you could think that the day before a competition, you shouldn't walk in the stairs. But again, you shouldn't walk anywhere. anywhere. No, yeah. Definitely stay on the first floor of everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, on the flip side, like as to whether the people who gave the money back or didn't give the money back were passing or failing. I'm universally passing everyone because I assume, and I guess I could be wrong here, but I assume that when you make a bet, you have a slight understanding of like what you're going into. Um, and I, I, it's gotta be the same with like betting on horses and stuff too, right? If the horse like keels over from a heart attack, unclear if that can happen to horses. Um, the day yeah, before. I think it can happen. I definitely. Think, horses do, definitely get heart attacks. A lot of dope and I don't know. Yeah. They, they live a very unhealthy life. I think yeah. these horses climbing yeah. stairs. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just think that like you can be pissed you didn't get your money back, but if you bet on him, like it's the same as if he lost, you know, kind mm-hmm. of. It's just like, well, if he like fucks up and they, I don't know, I'm gonna pass him. Also, you shouldn't bet on sports if it's illegal. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I agree. The competition starts the day before, at least. The competition <laughs> starts the year yeah. before. Yeah. yeah. No, it's yeah. It's interesting because. The justification that some of the ones that gave money, the money back were using, at first they were saying that they only count it as like real, uh, from a betting standpoint, like real action if the person actually played. And then uh, like if they, like, and like because he didn't play at all, mm-hmm. they're saying, oh, it doesn't really count as like real action. Yeah. But I think the bigger reason, which I saw later in the article, was that they were doing it from a customer service perspective. Like they're playing the long game. Of like, because they're like, this has happened before, and if you don't give people their money back for three months, it's like you hear from all these customers. It's like all they're talking about, like this this really stupid mm. situation where they lost money on something where they didn't really even get to see Do it through. Do you have a number like how much money was involved in betting on this dude? Like how much got given back, and how much like what do people bet on golf? I'm assuming these are not like five dollar bets. No, I mean it's. I play poker with a like a fifty quad buy-in. So I mean between geez, these yeah. di- between all the different um, books, I mean I would have to look, but I would say it was you know it was easily in the in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, probably okay. over a million. I, I would have to look exactly at the numbers, okay. but a large sum of money. He was again one of the favorites, so he was like the person that almost like a lot of people were betting on. Is he cute? Yeah, he's he's actually he's um. He's married to, uh, this might not mean anything to you either, but he's married to uh, Wayne Gretzky's daughter. He's a football player, right? Okay, this isn't gonna this isn't gonna work very well. You're you don't even have football in America. Do you know American football? Do you know who Wayne Gretzky is? I actually do because he happened to be the big name in ice hockey. Yes. Where when I was at that age, that everybody had these yes. hockey cards and they traded, and I I, I never did that, but. Yeah, just by coincidence, yeah. I have to Well, yeah, Sweden is a country that likes hockey. Yeah, so. it, we're a hockey country. It doesn't snow or have ice where I'm from, so... That is true. It's not really my fault. Okay. And, and you play football well, with your hands, yep. so... <laughs> anyway, yeah, his daughter is very attractive and is married to this golfer, Dustin Johnson. All you right. can look up their pictures. I that's that's anyway. hilarious. Hockey is a badass sport, right? Yeah. And she grew, she grew up with a daddy who's like... 
have a 500 stitches in his face only and she marries a golfer and now he breaks his foot from falling in the stairs so he's gonna be like oh take care of me she's like dude my dad would walk with a broken leg <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think I you have a good chance wow she is really hot yeah everyone should google Wayne Gretzky's daughter her name is uh, Paulina Paulina right. Gretzky why do wow okay <laughs> Uh, anyways, is that being a sports nerd or is we that got, we got, we got off. Not your type? Uh, a little too much my type. <laughs> <laughs> I would say. It's like, <laughs> okay. Uh, so okay. Good thing we didn't get off topic. Yeah. Okay, so you, you passed both. Yes. Uh, how about you? I, I, I just love the story. I just pass it because of that. Okay, yeah. I'm going to pass on both of them because I think um, it, it's a bet. So... Keeping the money is fine, and giving the money back if you want to do it for the long customer service game, yep. that's also fine. I'm with you. Okay, great. That was uh, Fail or Pass. Let's, uh, let's move on to the next segment. Failure of the Week! Okay, so we are about to get started here with uh, going a little bit deeper into uh, talking, about, talking to Bjorn, but we're, we're going to start off... Like we always do with our small failures of the week. My favorite thing that we ever do. Okay. Um, Bjorn, do you want to start? I can start. I, I have another... I, I have my most common failure. It's another one failing to start living the healthy life. Uh, so I, two weeks ago, I came back to Shanghai. So I decided I should have one week of just, you know, settling down, landing, see where... How life would work here at, at this, this time. Uh, so this this week number two was the week when I was, you know, getting up early, do my push-ups every morning, do my 15 minutes of meditation every night, stop eating meat, start living a healthy life. Jesus Christ, start with one. <laughs> yeah, I think that might be the key because obviously nothing happened. Again, <laughs> it's like I'm, I'm one of these guys, I'm one of the people that always say my new life will start on Monday. <laughs> I think that will be my quote on my tomb one day. My new life will start on Monday. It's a pretty <laughs> creepy tomb <laughs> quote. <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, a- another week of not starting to do all these things that should be part of a daily routine. That's so many more things than should be part of a daily routine. Yeah, but I understand. I know. But I understand. Okay. Um... Well, okay, my failure of the week is that I waxed my own legs this week, which is harder than it sounds. Um, It sounds pretty difficult. Yeah. So, like, I have, like, a candle, and then you have, like, wax strips. It's pretty self-intuitive. You, like, warm wax, apply it to leg, pull off all of the hair on your leg, right? You're looking at me like you're begging for understanding. I am. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Yeah, okay. This is for just anyone who understands what I'm talking about, which is obviously neither of the two people in the room with me right now. But I, like, couldn't... <laughs> this is a really weird, weird failure. I could not... Um, like get it to work for my knees because your knees are like a weird shape so when you're trying to like wax your own knees it's very hard Mm. and also like this is just you're gonna learn a lot about me my my (laughs) knees are not like particularly hairy right but i was like i don't want to have to shave my knees and then i was like i'll do it but then i couldn't do it so i kept trying to cut the wax strips into like knee shapes so that it would work (laughs) And, like, basically then I just, like, finished and I was, like, fuck it. Like, I have blonde hair on my legs so you can't see it. So then I was, like, maybe no one will ever notice 
that like my knees aren't just don't match the rest of my body really right now. So that was my failure. They are looking at me like I. Fiona's looking at me like I have lost my fucking mind. <laughs> no, I, I didn't see this coming. I was like, "What's your failure? I failed to shave my knees." <laughs> no, I failed to wax my knees, which is very different. Um, so yeah, that was my uh, that was my failure this week. It's harder to wax your knees than you would think. Okay. Cool. No, that was no, that was a very interesting original <laughs> failure. Okay, I'm, it's original only in the sense that neither of you have ever tried to probably wax. But now I have parts, to. Now I have to try no, it. No. So. <laughs> cool. Well. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, at work this week, I was like putting together like a, a memo for this new project or this new deal that we were gonna do, and I had sent it to a bunch of. Hi, people in the company who had approved it. And then I had to send it to like our general counsel to look at the legal stuff. Um, but our general counsel happened to be on vacation. And when I sent it to her, I also forgot to send a financial summary. So she was a little bit like she was on vacation and she, you know, didn't really want to be looking at it, even though she was professional and like wanted, didn't want to hold up any business. So she looked at it. Then she's like, oh, this isn't detailed enough. And you didn't even send me the financials. Um, so then this caused us to have to go back and like, would do what we probably should have done and been much more thorough in what we put in the memo, but it was just some of it was probably probably happened because I just forgot to attach the financials and that kind of probably put made her a little bit. Can I just say that it feels like you're using your failure of the week to say that you have a cool job with like lots of important responsibilities? Yeah, um, I'm like no. the, the knee story made more sense to me. For me, <laughs> this is another planet. <laughs> Like, you just keep saying financial reports, and I feel like there's never a point in your life where you should just keep saying financial reports. Yeah, you're here with a clown and a knee waxer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I said financial reports. I think I said financial summary, or... I don't even know that word. Yeah, worse, not better, love. Okay, well... We're just saying it's a that fa- it's a, a, a very Lehigh failure, a very uh, hardcore failure. I'm, I'm sorry for bullying you. It must feel horrible for you. No, it wasn't. It was just a. It was a small failure of the week. That's right. why I included it in this section. It, it didn't derail my life, like waxing my knee. Hey, it's, it's like if you have a, a job that makes you use these words. It's like Bill Gates saying, "Oh, I failed. I lost a dollar." It's like. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we'll move on. Talk a little bit more to Bjorn. Bjorn, you mentioned that you are a clown, which yeah. is not a job that most people have. And you're from Sweden, which is not a place that most people are from. This if you're not from Sweden, right. Yeah. And, and, you're a yeah, Swedish clown. I'm a, my mother is very proud of me. <laughs> I hope that she actually is, though, because that it seems like a great thing to be doing what yeah. you're doing. Well, people ask me all the time, I, well, what do you do? I'm a clown. What does your parents say? But, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's true. I mean, I... I basically I'm an actor. My my uh, what do you say? My major, my my MFA is in acting. Okay. So the spe- specialization in clowning is something that I did after I graduated. Okay. Um. So. Did you go to school in Sweden? Yeah. Okay. Just okay. checking. Just yeah. checking. Just, yeah. Okay. So I mean, what was it? I mean, uh, like, what was it that originally pushed you into wanting to study acting? I guess. Oh. Uh, I I still have no idea. Not to be all high school, I just wanted to be a psychologist, and I did acting as like a hobby or whatever. And then after high school, we were a 
bunch of teenagers forming a theater group, a theater company, and uh, we we did a play and due to a lot of reasons we we kind of felt that this play actually made a huge impact like we we wanted to talk about about class society and how class society treat kids that comes from a lower class mm. and not me but most of the other people in the company could really identify with that because they were all like really working class kids having quite a tough uh, environment at home and all so uh, so to all of us and of course I sympathized with them because they were my friends so this became a very very important project to us and I was like okay I'm gonna wait one year until I apply for the psychologist program because we're gonna do this play mm. uh, it's called Class Enemy it's written by Nigel Williams who is mm. uh, a British playwright so we did that play and the reaction was completely massive I mean there were kids who would hate theater because they thought it's upper middle class culture we banned that we don't want to go to that but okay we come and see this and they were crying and we got a eight pages handwritten letter by a 70 year old man saying no i really understand how youngsters of today face reality blah 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 so i was like whoa we're changing the world this is awesome wow so at that point i was like i really should so, so to me, it was never about becoming an actor. To me, it was about running, a, we call it independent theater company that, you know, we, we decide ourselves what place we want to do. We're not employed by some big theater to do mm. whatever they tell us to. So so I kind of decided that, oh, I should, I should, I should do this. I should run a theater company. Mm. Uh, and I, I stayed in my hometown and I studied literature at the university just to have something to do so I can spend many hours doing this company. And then later on I went to these schools and, and had my, my, my education as an actor. And then there's a long story about that also, but basically that's what happened. I, I felt, I mean, it was a hobby and I came to a point where I realized that we could actually do something important for the society through the place that we make and also by making something. Because I come from a city where uh, they don't, they put way too less uh, budget and funding and effort into culture. And it's been a very bad downward spiral because they don't put, they don't put effort into it. So nobody wants to do it. Everybody mm. wants to do it, go to Stockholm, which is only 40 minutes away with the train. So nobody does anything, so no budget is, no funding is put into it. So it's a downward spiral. And we realized that we can actually challenge this spiral. Mm. And that was 15 years ago. This was the same year as 9-11 happened. Huh. Uh, and the year after a Swedish minister uh, was killed. So this was also a time where the world was changing really fast. And it was really like this feeling of walking out of high school, being a grown up. And I had been out for two weeks and then 9-11 happened. And yeah, it was, it was a dramatic year hmm. also. So it was really like everybody was talking about like, oh, who am I in the world and what should I do with my life and blah, blah, blah. Wow. So, so that kind of jump started you as, as someone who was going to, take acting more more seriously mm. and then where along the line did you develop an interest in clowning well this was it came in how do you say different points or waves like at this very point where we all were like oh we're gonna start a theater company to change the world 
At the same time, there was a clown company in southern Sweden that had a big breakthrough. So it was there were three clowns who decided that they should do all of Shakespeare's plays as clowns. Wait, that is amazing. Yeah, I wish you could see that. That's amazing. It's their their shows, their earliest shows is like the best thing I've ever seen. Oh man! And you cry so much because you know the red nose. It it becomes. It becomes a distance. It's not human anymore. It's clowns, which makes it easier for you to project whatever emotions you want because it, it becomes something else, right? It's like a fable. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so it's so funny and so bizarre and so human at the same time. I mean, I've been crying like a baby watching their plays and still laughing my ass off for three hours. Wow. So that happened. And they got, for a couple of years, they had like among theater people in Sweden, they had rock star status, mm-hmm. this, uh, this company. So that happened and at the same, and because of this, I also realized that the clown, I was always very interested in political theater. Mm-hmm. So the clown is a very political figure, right? It's the jester. Mm-hmm. It's the, because he's so low status, he's the only, he or she, I should say, is the only one who is allowed to say anything and everything. Yeah. And oh. that really tickled me. And then a couple of years later, I, I heard about Clowns Without Borders, and there were... Can, I, can I just yeah. say that I tried to explain to someone, they were asking like, oh, who do you have on the podcast this weekend? And I was like, we have a Swedish clown who does Clowns Without Borders. <laughs> and I just like, I just got so many looks just from like saying that. Yeah. So I don't, I don't want to get you off topic, but like, no, but what do people, like how... When you say like, oh, and then I discovered Clowns Without Borders, which obviously yeah. for you was like this like shifting point and you started doing <laughs> that. But like, what do people say when you're like, oh yeah, it's cool. I'm like a Swedish clown and I do Clowns Without Borders. I get the funniest reactions. Clowns Without Borders Sweden has been growing rapidly the last years. So okay. in Sweden, most people are actually aware of this and we got quite some attention on TV and everything. My God, I even... So I was walking, I was going to do a clown show in a theater. So I was walking the street carrying, uh, we use as a prop, it's a golden chair. It's a thro- uh, throne, yeah. Throne. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's built so it falls apart. And this like homeless drunk guy just came up to me. I'm like, what chair are you carrying? I was like, well, it's a clown chair. And oh, you're a clown. Yeah. Where do you perform? I, say, I usually go to slum areas in India. Clowns Without Borders! Like, yeah! <laughs> and he said, can I sit in the chair? I never sat on a clown chair before. I was like, please do. Oh <laughs> Beautiful. Here in China, I get the funniest reactions. I mean, people think it's a joke, right? Yeah. Which, of course, it is. On the level. Yeah. <laughs> but I get, I mean, there was this lady, she said, a Chinese lady, she was like, Oh, so you want to play for poor kids? Why don't you do it in your country? Because your country is so rich, you can get rich from doing it. Right. I was like, but I... Okay, so first of all, I don't get salary for doing this. It's quite important to say. But as I said, but if I need to... If I want to play for poor kids, I should probably go to a poor country, right? Uh, And she said, oh, you're so smart. In China, we have so many poor kids. You will get very rich here. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so interesting. It's like, it kind of flips over people's mindset. And it reveals also the mindset of people in a way that I, I think is fascinating. But yeah, usually I, they want to hear and I explain to them uh, and people usually get very happy like, whoa, someone is doing this. 
sometimes both here in Sweden I get this reaction that oh why why clowns without borders why not doctors without borders why why don't you put the effort in you know this I'm like I'm a clown. <laughs> you don't want me to do surgery. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's about finding yourself. If you look in the mirror and the guy looking back to you has a red nose, there are certain things you should not do. <laughs> I think taking out someone's appendix is one yeah. of <laughs> But it's also, I mean, we don't go to places where doctors without borders are needed. Yeah. I mean, first you survive and then you start to live yeah. and that's where laughter is really important so i have like a thousand questions and yeah. i'll try and like temper them but i guess my my first question is you said that you originally wanted to do this like psychologist right yeah okay and then you went you did your mfa and everything um did you ever have a moment where like it was hard and you were like oh maybe i'm doing the wrong thing or like maybe i should have done psychology maybe i like maybe clowns without borders At is ridiculous <laughs> which i think it's amazing but like have you ever like had moments of self-doubt along that way uh i mean never for clowns without borders but since clowns without borders is charity work i yeah. can only do it i mean effectively a few weeks per year because right. it doesn't generate any money right? right 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 but being an actor i still i i'm turning 35 and i question it every single week <laughs> because since i was 25 i have been working 60 to 8 hours per week constantly mm -hmm. there were i had six years without a vacation and i don't even get paid for every second working hour that i do and I mean, this was okay when you're like in your early 20s, you were this artist, blah, blah, blah. But then you realize that my peop my friends are 25, they're graduating, they're getting the first job, they're buying their apartment, they're buying a car. They start to get the economy that you need if you want to set up a family. I always wanted a big family. And all of I don't have that. Are you from a big family? No, it's uh, I have a younger sister. Okay. But, uh, and all of a sudden you realize that, I mean, even if you live in a very rich country, you're not as hot on the dating market. <laughs> if you're like, I don't know if I can pay the rent my next month. And uh -huh. this is what my life always looked like. So yeah, I, every time you realize the sacrifices that you didn't realize, mm -hmm. you question your life as an actor. And also because I, at a few points in my career, I choose, should I go to Stockholm, try to be in films, try to get jobs with the fancy theatres, or should I stay in my hometown and actually really make a change? And I always choose my hometown, and I always choose less money, less possibilities to work with people who I can learn from. And of course, that, that I mean, I, I slept very bad last night because mm -hmm. I just received an email about some funding I was counting on and I wouldn't get it, blah, 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 blah. So I've been furious this morning yeah. so yeah that i question all the time but never ever clowns without borders what do you think motivates you to always like pick your hometown okay this is gonna sound so silly that's but, okay uh, <laughs> i grew up list i was i still am a big fan of michael jackson i was nine years old when i read his autobiography and that he he wrote about that he came to to a realization that he needs to use his art to change the world so when I was nine years old, before I even had the concept of doing art, I, I had this mindset that art is about changing the world. If I'm to be an artist, my main priority is bring about a good change to the world. So that, that was an idea that was 
in me before the idea of, oh, I want to be on stage. I'm a blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So it was, it's always been like, if I, and I know that I, if I do something in my hometown, I do something that if I don't do it, nobody else will. Mm-hmm. If I go to a bigger city, I'm just another actor who can be replaced in an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, I think it's the mindset that I don't feel like, of course I do commercials and stuff sometimes to, you know, get the money, but I never feel like I'm a real actor if I'm doing a commercial or, you know, do a smart part in, 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 a, in a film or whatever. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, I work with my craft and my art, but that's not who I am as an artist. So that's always been the framework. Mm. So, so not to go off track, but you're very far from your hometown. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my second hometown. Yeah, so yeah. for speaking of like staying yeah. in your hometown, we're, we're recording this in Shanghai. Yeah, and I guess for the people who don't know you, at least since I've met you, you you know, when you're doing Clowns Without Borders stuff, yeah. you're sometimes here for a few months, then yeah. you're away in other places or back in Sweden for yeah. a few months, then you come back. So I guess it kind of... Like, explain a little bit of that <laughs> rhythm and how that all works. Yeah, oh my, it doesn't. <laughs> no, but I mean, so after I took my MFA, I just decided, okay, I'll go to China for one semester and study Chinese. I had studied Chinese before in high school. Okay. I just go there, study Chinese at the Theatre Academy to, like, take a break from theatre, clear my mind and see what happens Mm -hmm. and i bumped into e-theater which is a company in shanghai uh, uh, created by a swedish person together with some chinese people small world yeah and um and uh, so i got a job as a director and we made a children's performance sweden's children's theater is world famous so I've, mm. I am in Sweden, we, we don't talk about that because we don't talk about the good things we have. <laughs> so, so I came to China and realized that people here have a concept of ch- Swedish children's theater. This, what do you call it? Theater that's not performed in a theater space, but actually go to places uh-huh. and perform. Yeah. So I directed a play and as a test, we wanted to try the play before we sold it. So we say, okay, let's... Let's do what I did in India. Let's play for underprivileged children. And we played at centers for, um, for ah, let's just say underprivileged children. Yeah. Uh, and we were like, this is totally, totally amazing what happened there. Uh, so we decided that, okay, I've been doing three Clowns Without Borders project in India. I know the routine. Let's create a Clowns Without Borders project in China. So I came back in 2015 and this was the first time ever there was a Clowns Without Borders project in China and we reached out to thousands of kids and they were like, whoa, this is the first thing something like this happens. And I I got funding to do it again. So I did two tours in 2016 and now I got a big funding to make an even bigger tour this year and also the board, the Swedish Clowns Without Borders Bored, the clown boss <laughs> will come and watch the place, and it might, if if it works out, we wish to turn it into a three-year project where I also train Chinese actors because there are so many Chinese actors who want to do this, but they don't have a toolbox. Oh. They don't have a method for what to do on stage or how to arrange the show. So my, I want to train Chinese actors now. So in five years, there's a Chinese Clowns Without Borders. 
and they don't need a white guy to come and do things. Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, on a 10, 15 years perspective, I think we can reach millions of kids. I really think so. And that's super cool. Yeah, it's um, a non-political way of talking about human value. Because yeah. when you say like everybody should have the right to eat, people, oh, I heard that. When you say everybody should have the right to laugh, yeah. you know, people go, wow. Yeah, that's incredible. So I, I have a question about the clowning. Yeah. So I did acting very, you know, very amateur level and like in college and things. But I met a guy who was uh, who had studied clowning like pretty yeah. extensively and we yeah. did a show together. And I was just like always so impressed with his physicality on stage mm. and, and so much of like, you know, like. And so he would tell me like, oh, yeah, like I learned how to like fall down a, a staircase to harken back to our earlier thing in clowning. <laughs> because like so much of it is like physical, like comedy yeah. and things like that. But I have a very limited understanding <laughs> of clowning. So the method I'm using, uh, it comes from a teacher named Mario Gonzalez, who, whom I never met. Uh, but I met his students, Pablo. Um, and that comes from the Italian Commedia dell'arte. Mm -hmm. So it, in that method, the failure as a concept is very important. And actually when you train or when you rehearse, there is a rule that whenever you fail, you must repeat the mistake three times. So what happens when you do that is that the, you make a mistake, the audience laugh, you make the mistake again, the audience laugh, and the third time you kind of develop a game from it. Uh, I'll, I'll explain that later. But yeah. what, what happens is that the audience gets a feeling that you are creating the show here and now for their sake. And that is, especially when you play for underprivileged kids, who has like, we go to India and the teacher walk around with sticks and hit you know, yeah, as, yeah. as you would very hit strict, a group much. of sheep, yeah. And they tell the kids to sit like this with the hands crossed over your chest and not to move. And then you send the signal, your laughter is the most important thing today. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. And I, I've been playing, the show I have now is like four to five minutes. When I started, it was five. But then every, every I've been doing it over 200 times now every single performance something new happens mm. like i was playing for a bunch of girls in india who grew up locked into brothels and i i wear a king's crown my character has a king's crown and that crown fell down during the show and those kids laughed and i picked it up and of course i had to do it again so yeah. i made it fall and they laughed and i picked it up and again it fell down and the third time then I was like putting it upside down on my head. And <laughs> so these kids, these girls that, you know, they live in a reality that we cannot imagine. They created a game. And then I go and play that. I play the same game with, you know, rich kids in Sweden or kids at an orphanage in China or at a refugee camp in, in Greece. And I play the game that these girls in India invented together with me and to me that's like i'm into magic and stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. to me that is on a higher level it's like connecting the world right yeah and so, and in sweden because their schools buy the show and the teacher has a program so then will they will talk to the kids about the show after the show i take off my nose and i say thank you i'm happy you laughed 
uh, I'll just tell you, I play in orphanages, I play in slum areas, refugee camps, and these kids laugh at exactly the same thing as you do. And these six, seven-year-old kids, it gets to their head. The teachers send me emails afterward and say, these kids are talking about that. These kids, six-year-olds say, imagine we laugh at the same thing as orphans in China. Mm. So I mean, it's that's the magic of the failure. Yeah, that's the magic of the failure. No, it's incredible. Yeah, I think one of the things that we all have in common is that we carry a lot and lot of shame, and the power of the clown is like, it's everybody says that everybody who tries to be a clown they try to look stupid, and I always say that it's not about acting stupid, it's about daring to be perceived as stupid, which can be a quite painful experience. Many people start to do clowning, they, and me too, they, it's quite painful in a way, but mm. to stand there and send the signal that it's okay to be human, it's okay to be failed, it relieves things. I feel like I'm going to cry. Yeah, I, I'm always crying I'm when I like, talk about sorry. this. I'm really it's, sorry. It's cry. okay. Yeah. It's okay. No, but then, and also, I mean, especially in India and China where we have this don't lose face culture. Yeah. I gave workshops in China and Chinese people have been crying at my workshops saying it's the first time I'm allowed to lose face. Now you have like a fairly established, if still something I do not at all comprehend, life <laughs> that is split between your hometown in Sweden, mm. being in Shanghai, mm. developing stuff. What is like your your dream? And I guess the consequence of having a dream is the fear that it won't be actualized, right? But like, <laughs> what is your dream for like what, what that looks like, like where that's going? I want Clowns Without Borders China to happen. Okay. And that is at least a five-year project. Um, but that, that would be, I mean, knowing that I planted a seed together with some people because I need partners, but yeah. that will affect tens of thousands, maybe more, maybe even millions of kids. That would be amazing. But on a personal level also, I mean, I've been... So I also work in London and India. So it's Never mind, I oversimplified that. But I mean, I, I've been single for ages and I really dream, I do dream about finding someone, settle down, have kids. And at the moment, I don't see how that could be possible. So There's I, so much moving around. Yeah, so <coughs> that is something that I really want to happen in my life. And right now it's a paradox because I want to do this, but I also realize that now then that means there is something that cannot happen. I started doing this at a point in my life where my my friends in Sweden who are the same age started to build families and settle down and they started to make these choices that you do. It's like, okay, I have a wife and a kid and I don't have same time, same amount of time for my friends. And where they actually started to make choices that, okay, maybe these people is not that important to me or mm -hmm. I mean and at that point I started to be away and I didn't realize so ever since I was in high school I was very used to have like friends relationships over internet mm -hmm. I'm very comfortable with chatting or emailing mm -hmm. and I realized that 2014 I was in China for six months and 2015 I was here for 10 months and then I went to London and then I went to Nepal so I was away for almost a year and when I came back in 2015, I realized that many of my friends in Sweden were really disappointed with me. 
And I was a bit disappointed with many of them because I felt I've been away. Why didn't we keep contact on the internet? Mm-hmm. Oh, flash news. Normal people don't really think that's like a normal relationship, right? Yeah, that, yeah. That was Whereas a... like, I think it's very normal, but I think I've been mm. abroad for three years. Yeah. So like, I connect to that and I'm like, yeah, you know, yeah. your G-chat friends, like yeah. those are your real friends. Yeah. But it was very interesting because many of the, many of the people I was hanging out with kind of disappeared from my life. And my closest friends, each and every one, like, we had a talk. Because when I realized that, sure, some people are disappointed with me, I started asking around, like, do we need to talk about our relationship? And now it's fine. All the people that really matters to me, it's like, it's, it's fine. But I really have to sit down and make a very conscious change mm-hmm. about how I, how, what I do to what do you say, cherish, yeah, cherish the, the friendships I have for Sweden. Uh, but then you all know Shanghai is, Shanghai is strange, right? Yeah. You're super tight with someone, you're away for two months and that person is gone. Yeah, so, that is a very good way to characterize mm, Shanghai. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's strange, but Kung Fu comedy has become a family. It's like I always have a place to go and that's where I feel like yeah, that's that's where I feel like okay here 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 there was a continuity. Yeah, yeah, and it's like even if the faces are slightly different every time yeah. you come back, there's that base and there's enough of the people you remember and it's, yeah. the, it's the environment. Yeah, yeah. So that has become. I'm very happy I found kung fu comedy. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, that's the thing. That's how Ida and I know Bjorn because in addition to mm-hmm. all of the theater plays and clown performances he does, he, Bjorn also does stand-up comedy too. <laughs> yeah, he does. So he's a very, very and diverse one performer. Time he did it in his clown costume. Yes, <laughs> which yeah. I will never forget. <laughs> it involves slippers and a crown, and it's very, very green. Yeah, I guess you're. <laughs> I'm a you, frog. Yeah, you're, you're a frog. You can. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, if you want, you can tell people a little bit about your character. Oh my God, the cat. The, yeah. The day I did it in full costume was when Trump won the election. So I felt I wanted to make a stand-up about hope. And then we need a clown. <laughs> so, no, but it was so funny. So I, I worked for many years with an Indian clown. His name is Rupert Stillu. Uh, he lived in Sweden for many years and we did projects together. And he initiated this India project that we did and all that. Um, and so we were, we did... A play he was actually one of my most important clown teachers so I directed a play with him before I started doing clowning myself I directed a solo play with him that was called Ragula Bugla it was a <laughs> which is the name of an island that sinks into the ocean uh, in 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 our reality so yeah yeah so uh, so we did a clown play about environmental refugees we thought it was a brilliant idea. <laughs> and the play went very well. We won awards at the Stockholm Fringe Festival, which let us, we, so we could tour other fringe festivals around Europe. And we won awards in Prague and Amsterdam also. So we were like, hey, we're so cool. <laughs> and he had a contact with UNESCO Center for Peace. So UNESCO ra- arranged a US tour for us. Wow. Yeah, so we were touring USA with that play. Many stories about that too, but yeah, we were touring USA with that play, and he also brought his clown solo for children. He had like a 30 minutes, just mm-hmm. falling off the chair kind of solo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he, so he did that a few times, and the last day of the tour, we were somewhere outside Washington. 
he just woke me up one day. I wasn't. He was going to do his his uh, children's performance, and I was going to sleep. <laughs> and he woke me up with one day with huge eyes, just staring at me, saying, "Bjorn, did you ever do clowning?" I was like, I went to a three-hour workshop six years ago. Why? <laughs> he said, "Get in the car. You're in the show today." I was like, "What?" And he said, "Find a costume." And he left. And we were in this UNESCO guy's house in the countryside of US. On the walls were pictures of this guy having dinner with Obama. I was like, he probably doesn't have a clown costume. <laughs> <laughs> I opened the wardrobe and it was this really expensive suit. So I was like, Rupesh! I had a coffee and a helic pill. Rupesh, how do I find a clown costume? And he gave me the flippers that we used in the play Ragula Bugla. And he also had a crown that he used in another play so he gave me the flippers and the crown and said you are the frog king get in the car and so what we did was that he said okay get on the stage place the chair that i'm using in my show and get off that's the only thing you should do we painted a red nose and he said if if you do whatever you do if they laugh do it again and try to and stay as long as they laugh and try to do try to stay for one minute that's all i'm asking from you and i went on stage and i stayed they were laughing and laughing and after 10 minutes <gasps> i see you waving to me get off the stage get off the stage <laughs> and after that we just yeah we just started to sell the show and we developed it so we had a very interesting process first we opened it then we created the character then we toured it, then we fixed the costume, and after like a hundred shows, we actually took time to rehearse. Oh my goodness. Okay, um, my last question is, Ben can actually... <laughs> I, I have the whole day. So many. Yeah. yeah, but I don't know if we can uh, yeah. run the whole day. So, what is your favorite, like, mistake thing, other than crown falling in India, your favorite, like... Thing that's happened that was a mistake in a show that you had to repeat three times? Like, um, what's your favorite one? Okay, so we were playing at an orphanage in Nepal. <laughs> and, and it was like, you know... So we went to Nepal after the earthquakes because uh, psychologists have actually been doing research in the Philippines after the typhoon, where Clowns Without Borders also went, that when kids are traumatized, that, you know, they can't, they can't go to school because they're too traumatized to, to, to get the education and all mm -hmm. that. So we went... We went to two the very villages in the epicentrum of the earthquakes and we saw people living in the houses that had fallen down and they were in the school buildings that were fallen down. And you could see in the children's eyes that they were still in shock. And we know that when you place a positive memory in that surrounding, that could flip things over. So that actually traumatized girls in South Sudan are also Clowns Without Borders go there and train the local teachers so they can learn how to make the children laugh. So we went to Nepal for that purpose and in one of those villages we were in an orphanage and it was like, I mean, it, there was a ceiling but there were open doors. Mm -hmm. And it's me and Rupesh and, and in, in the play we have a scene that he pretends to be a dog and scares me but the chair is on my flipper so I can't move. Ah. It's very funny. So he goes, ruff, 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 and I go, ah, and he goes, ruff, 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 and I go, ah, and then I heard, ruff, 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 ruff. <laughs> 
so a stray dog has run on stage and trying to chase me and I have to stay in character right so I have to get away and the more I try to run and I'm still stuck under that chair the more I try to run the more excited that stray dog becomes and of course that dog st- starts to hump my leg right I was like ah the dog humps my leg and the chair I'm like ah so that happened oh my god that is amazing and I also have the, okay I have one more I have yeah, 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 yeah. no these are my yeah. favorite the biggest audience we ever had was 1200 kids in a schoolyard in India one of these like Holy school shit. for yeah. really poor kids and it was a crazy show so I'm behind and it's one of these schools where all the teachers have stick and they just you know hit the groups of children like as yeah. if they're sheep and there was and it happens sometimes that the teacher don't know how to handle the situation so the teacher were hitting the kids laughing and I was behind the stage I, I was we have like a, a wing a screen so yeah. I was behind the screen in that very scene and I hear people just going completely nuts outside I later hear that what has happened is that one of these teachers have been going around with the stick and Rupert gets completely mad. So he takes the stick and starts to chase the teacher around in the audience. I don't know this. I just like something very, very strange is happening out there. And in the next scene, I'm supposed to get out from that, that, that screen and I'm supposed to discover that Rupert has clown Popo has ruined my golden chair so I'm supposed to chase him in the audience and I go out and it's like it's like standing in a waterfall I can feel the energy from 1200 kids that have totally flipped over like wow what should I do okay I just play the game and I start to chase him and I start to chase him and these kids are completely mad and I have my flippers right so if I fall I'm dead I can't breathe <laughs> And every place we went to in India, they had this little altar, this Hindu altar. And Rupesh has said, whatever you do, don't make fun of the religion. Don't make fun of the altar. Yeah. Right. I know it's tempting, but don't do it. Okay, 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 okay. So I run, and for some reason, Rupesh, he gets ideas, right? So he's, he runs away to an altar Uh-oh. with a statue and stands next to the statue. And I'm like, what is he doing? What is, I don't know what he's trying to do when 1200 kids are looking like what's gonna happen so I like probably he thinks that he's fooling me to believe he's a statue what should I do with this so I just look around and I see over the altar is something written in Hindi I guess it is so I'm like I should read this text out loud so I look at the kids I point at the text and I go 1200 kids from laughing like maniacs, completely silenced. So I was like, I probably just insulted some god. Oh no! And they are silent for three seconds, and then they just explode in laughter. Oh my god! I, th- I thought my heart was going to explode in this story. Yeah, I was like, those three seconds, I was like. I got killed in a school in India for insulting. This is where it ends. This is, it's not going any further. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, like, I was very nervous for you at that moment. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's that's incredible. I'm going to kill you. (laughs) Wow. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, it it seems like especially like that when you're working with a partner, even when you're Mm. not, that 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 seems to be... Uh, a lot of the the magic of clowning is just what 
what happens by what happens by accident yeah. what ha- what happens that's that's not planned and just discovering who you are and and what is you know what what the crowd wants yes exactly as it's going on organically yeah and what the crowd wants is so important like you got to have big ears and it touches you i mean i know that i've been performing for kids and kids that have been part of creating my shows that are probably dead today because they've been frozen to death or they drowned at the Mediterraneans or all these horrible things that happens in the slums of India and it's very strange to know that but I can feel them you know when I'm on stage it it's like they are with me and that's a very beautiful thing to feel definitely wow. actually yeah. gonna cry in this wow <laughs> no that is incredibly beautiful and uh, Thank, yeah, thanks for sharing all of the stories that you've yeah. shared today. They're, <laughs> I mean, it's okay. Yeah. No, they're they're all incredible, and you know, it's clear what you're doing inspires a lot of people and brings so much joy. So I, I, I have so much fun. You know, sometimes in the evenings, I just I'll show you some pictures, but the way the kids laugh, I can just look at these pictures like. <laughs> But that, that, that's when you had those doubts that yeah. you say sometimes about being an actor, like, am I pursuing mm. the right thing? I bet it's, yeah. it's those pictures that remind you that, yes, yeah. I am doing the right thing. Yeah, and I feel so gifted and privileged. Uh, gifted does not mean I get a gift, it means I'm talented, right? Never mind that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel we know what you mean. Blessed is the word. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank thank you so much. This was yeah. fantastic. Thank you You're so amazing. Much for thank, your you, thank you. Thank you. Thank um, you. Yeah, that's just incredible stories from from Bjorn. Awesome to hear about it. Thanks so much. Uh, that's uh, been uh, been the failure show. Yeah, fail or pass. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's been uh, been the failure show. And until next time. <laughs> <laughs>